Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men, I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timotheus, my worker fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sophipaser, and kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, write you this epistle. Salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and all of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, salutes you. And Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise, be glory of Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Yes. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great promise that we see in the scripture that we have for today. We thank you for giving us your word and your Holy Spirit that we might understand better. Lord, we know that uh, time is short and you have work for each of us to do. We just ask, Lord, you'd help us to do that. Set our minds and our hearts uh, aside from the things of this world that are troubling and distracting to us, Lord. To the one thing that's important, and that is uh, you. We love you, we trust you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Thank you. All right, guys, we're at the end of the book. We started this last fall, I think October-ish, and uh, we're at the last few verses here of Romans, Romans chapter 16, and uh, it's been a rich journey for me, and uh, I always uh, clean so much, probably more than anybody, because I'm the one studying and preparing this here, but I trust that the Lord's using this. For the reasons that Paul says here at the end of Romans 16. He tells us why he wrote the book and what his prayer is. Um, and so let's, uh, let's get into the word this morning that was just read. Um, in August 2013, a public zoo in the third largest province in China was temporarily shut down due to an unusual problem. Visitors discovered that the zoo's lion was actually a dog posing as a lion. And according to a report in the Beijing newspaper, the fraud came to light when a mom and her young son visited the zoo and the animal labeled African lion started barking. <laughs> and the outraged mother said, the zoo's absolutely cheating us. I pay good money for this ticket and I feel cheated. Well, the zookeepers, when they were interviewed by the news, uh, admitted that the so-called uh, lion was actually a Tibetan mastiff. Uh, which is a large dog with a furry, furry brown coat. And they <laughs> admitted that other zoo animals have also been mislabeled. 
Apparently there's a, there's a white fox in the leopard's den, and another dog being passed off as a wolf. They also swapped two snakes at the reptile house with two giant sea cucumbers. <laughs> the chief of the park's animal department claimed that they really did have a lion, but it was away at the breeding facility, and the dog belonged to an employee and had been put there for, for safety reasons. The spokesperson for the zoo said, we're doing our best in tough economic times. <laughs> well, this chapter here is all about being embedded in the real deal, the real thing. And just as those zoo officials try to pass off a dog as a lion, there's all kinds of people trying to pass off falsehood as truth. And we're introduced right away, abruptly, into this chapter with some of these people. Look what he says in verse 17. After the greetings of the church that we looked at last week, he says in verse 17, I beseech you, I beg of you, brethren, brothers, sisters, churches, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine or teaching which we have learned and avoid them. And avoid them. The first thing we see this morning is that we are to discipline divisive insiders. We're to discipline divisive insiders. He says, mark them. The idea is be alert. Be on the lookout here. And you're wondering, well, what i got to be on the lookout for? And Paul gives us very clear criteria here, doesn't he? He gives us very clear criteria for identifying dissensions and temptations. They are what? Contrary to what the Romans have been taught, have learned here. So we're to measure those who are divisive against the full counsel of God's word. Which means you have a responsibility as a disciple of Jesus to not just know bits and pieces, but how the Word of God fits together, the, the scope and sequence, the whole counsel of God's Word. Paul said in Ephesus in um, Acts chapter 20 that he did not cease preaching the whole counsel of the kingdom of God. So we're to be alert. But secondly, we are to separate from them. He says have nothing to do with them. Avoid them. We're to separate from them. We're not to extend fellowship to those kinds of people. We're to expunge them from the church until they repent and are in line with Jesus. Separate from them. Well, how do you separate from them? Well, Paul doesn't just say do this. He also gives some information about these people here. And you might notice that after verse 17, he says, verse 18, for they. So now he's going to describe their motives. And what are their motives? What does he say in verse 18? They that are such, brethren, that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine of you are, they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. But their own belly. What does that mean? What Paul's saying is this. They are self-serving. They are not Christ's servants. They have ulterior, ulterior motives. Uh, know their motives. That's what's behind us. That's what's behind us. And then he says this in verse 18. And by. So now here's their means. Here's how they do this. Okay. In verse 19 or 18. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Here's what he's saying. They're crafty and they're really good communicators. That naive believers swallow up. This is why there is an importance 
um, in our lives as believers for knowing what the Word of God says. The balance of it. So I want to encourage you this morning here, by way of um, uh, a, a believer who I trust is not one of these people, um, don't be the master over the Word of God. Let the Word be the master over you. That's what these people are doing. They're taking the Word of God. Paul, uh, Peter describes them at the end of 2 Peter as those who twist the Scriptures here. So they take a partial truth, but it's disconnected from the full counsel of God. This happens all the time. Um, it, 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 all you have to do is turn on your TV um, to, to some of these religious stations. But these are, these are crafty and very skillful communicators that sound good here. But they are trying to be masters over the Word of God and have the Word of God serve them instead of being under the Word of God and being servants of the Word. So let me just give you a couple practical um, tips for yourself so you don't err into this. Because I want to tell you, every one of us has a propensity to go off. Every one of us. There are things that in our hearts we might think are core values that are not the core values of Scripture. There are things that we have a tendency to make the main things that are not the main things. And we can veer off from the teaching that's been delivered here in the Scripture. So when you're reading the Scriptures, and when you're quoting verses, and when you're studying the Word of God, study the context. Study the context. Very simple thing. Look at the verse before and after. At least do that, please. <laughs> the, 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 the phrases that people pull from Scripture, or the verses that people use to just proof text some of their ideas, it's... it's Dangerous, very dangerous. Understand the context here. Now, how do you understand the context? What does that mean? It means that God had that author in Scripture have a specific intent for his letter. So we can't just say, pull this and say, well, this, this, this is what this is meaning here because this is kind of what I see here. No. God had these authors have a specific intent. And you read documents with the author's intent. The reason I'm saying this this morning is because that's not a very popular thought all around in our culture. I mean, right now there's a battle about the Constitution. How do you read the Constitution? Right? This, we, 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 we have a tendency today, because of some of the relativism in our society, to say, well, I think the author means this. Because this is our circumstances today. And read that into it. And all of us have a tendency to do that in Scripture. Interpret Scripture from our own experience here. Please don't do that. Use the author's intent. So if I'm preaching Romans 16, or you're studying Romans 16, and you're saying what it's, what it's meaning, I should be able to have the Apostle Paul in the front row. I should be able to ask him, Paul, is that what you were saying? And Paul should be able to say, yeah. That's what we're trying to communicate here. That's, the, that's my intent here. And as you're teaching, or you're discipling, or you're speaking the Word of God, make sure you understand the author's intent. There's a big difference between understanding the author's intent and then thinking about how to apply it. First, understand what it means, what the author intended, and then how to apply it in our day. And then, not only know their motives and know their means, because a lot of these people are really... You like them. They're nice guys. They seem like nice guys. Nice people. Um, 
There's a reason there. There's an attraction to it. Know the results. Look at the results. Again, up in verse 17. Which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. What's the results? Divisions of the church. And then he says this interesting word here, offenses. That's a word that is actually used in the original language several times in this letter. It's the word stumbling blocks. Stumbling blocks. What's a stumbling block? A stumbling block is you're walking a path and you don't see it and there's a root that trips you up. And that gets you off your journey. It messes you up. And so what the results of these kinds of divisive people are, are they trip up people in their journey to follow the authentic Christ. They trip up people in their journey to follow Christ. So first of all, discipline divisive insiders. There's your positive news for the day. (laughs) Secondly, look what he says in chapter 16 and verse 19. Now he's going to connect them to this situation and... Thank God for what God's doing in their lives, but also um, uh, 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 remind them of what God is doing in the big picture as well. So now he says this. Continue in line with Jesus' victory. Continue in line with Jesus' victory. Look in verse 19. For your obedience. That's good news, right? They're in line. In line with Jesus. Your obedience is come abroad to all men. We're hearing good things about how you are pressing into Jesus and following Jesus here. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise to that which is good and simple concerning evil. Here's what he's saying. Because of what Jesus accomplished and what he does to evil, what he does to sin, rebellion against him and the evil, live in line with that. Now look what he says at the end of verse 20, in verse 20. And the God of peace shall bruise or crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Here's what I understand Paul to be saying here. Jesus has accomplished from the cross and, res- and resurrection the death blow to the evil one. That headed that serpent, the evil one, has been crushed by the heel of Jesus. That heel of Jesus was bruised at the cross. There was pain. There was a a, um, a, a cost to this here. As he struck back at Jesus, thinking he had won the victory at the cross by killing Jesus at the cross. But the good news is this. The resurrection proved that that death blow had been dealt. And so the evil one's head has been crushed, but he is riding around, swinging at people with the rest of his serpentine form. And we are to live out Jesus' victory here in these days, because when he says that the, 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 um, uh, the head of the serpent has been crushed under you shortly, what that means is this. We are, it's been done at the same time, it hasn't happened yet. Here's what we mean by this. The death blow has been dealt, but we're waiting for Jesus to return to make all things new. Very simply here. So we're to press into the good life. Be wise concerning good and simple concerning evil. Run to the finish line. Jesus is the Lord of all. Our lives are to display that to the world. 
He has brought ruined sinners to reclaim. And we stand in victory right now as believers that we will see the end of evil one day. So stand firm in Jesus. Continue in line with Jesus' victory. And then um, in verse 19 uh, and 20 after this, he says, he brings up these people again that he's, um, we looked in chapter 16, verse 1 through 16 last week here, these, these fellow workers who are all involved, partners, hubs here of Jesus' mission of building churches and multiplying churches here for the glory of his name, for the obedience of faith. And so in verses uh, 21 through 24, he tells these believers, as he sends greetings now to them from people who are with him, he's telling us to let's lean into the mission together. Lean into the mission together. And so he says in verse 21, Timothy, my work fellow. He's, he's my right hand man, Timothy. He's Paul's closest fellow worker. He's identified as a co-writer with Paul in six of his letters. 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Paul says, I'm writing this with Timothy. So they're, they're collaborating here to get these, these, these establishing tools, these letters into the churches. Two other letters of Paul were written, obviously, just to him. 1 and 2 Timothy. <clears throat> and so they, they, they are partners in this mission here of making disciples. And then he says, <clears throat> um, and Lucius and Jason, and so Sipater, my kinsmen, or my fellow Jews, salute you or greet you. We don't know who the Lucius is. Some people said it might be Luke, might be the Lucius of Cyrene in Acts 13, but that's probably unlikely. But we probably do know who Jason is. Jason's probably the same Jason who, when Paul went to Thessaloniki, offered hospitality to Paul during that, that, uh, during that time in his, in his brief and tumultuous stay in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. <coughs> He's a partner here. And then Sosipater, he's probably the same Sopater of Berea mentioned in Acts 20 and verse 4. And these are, these are uh, uh, fellow Jews, as Paul is here. And then Tertius, in verse 22, says, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute or greet you in the Lord. Tertius is the one who's the trained scribe, who's writing down this letter. He has some scribe skills. He has some things that he had taken from his... His, uh, his, 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 uh, his trade that now he's using for gospel purposes, writing this letter. And you and I can say thank you to that. Because here it is. He knew how to glue papyrus together. He knew how to use ink and write. Not everybody did. He knew where to get the ink. And apparently, perhaps Phoebe was the one who funded the writing of this letter. Um, uh, scholars say just for just for write, finding that amount of, of papyrus and the ink and writing the letter, dictating it would have been about twenty three hundred dollars in that day, and then getting it to Rome, the postage delivery of that through people, you know, would have been more money. And God did this through regular people using the things that God gave them. He's otherwise unknown to us, but he's a scribe. But Paul wrote this, in, and it's a good thing that. Um, that he includes this. I mean, you're, this is this is Paul's longest letter, 16 chapters. I mean, he's he's put a lot of work into this. And then Gaius in verse 23, my host, Paul says, he's hosting Paul of the whole church. My host of the whole church, salute you. It's common name. It's probably the Gaius of Corinth, because Paul's writing this letter from Corinth. It's probably the Gaius in First Corinthians 1:14, and he offers hospitality. He's using the things again that he has for this mission 
of God, both to Paul and the whole church. Probably means that a church is meeting in his house. And then you got this guy, Erastus, in verse 23, the chamberlain of the city. He's the treasurer. That he, he oversees the city, the public works of the city. He greets you. Um, and in 1929, they uncovered a, 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 a engraved uh, monument in the city of Corinth that has his name on it. Probably dating it, probably was the same guy here. Um, he uh, he's serving here as a city official, but he's united with Jesus' mission. Do you see a common theme here? They're using the things that God's given them, and they're putting them secondarily to serve God's great cause here. And then this guy Cordus, we don't know a thing about. Him. Course, but he's a brother. He's a brother in Jesus. That's all we know. And so lean into the mission together. These guys were all in. And then, <clears throat> number four, here's where he's really getting into. The point of this letter. Trust the process that you've been born again into. Trust the process that you've been born again into. Verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, something that was a hidden knowledge but now has been revealed, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, has been made known, proclaimed, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations, for the obedience of faith to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Here's what he's saying. Who is Paul writing this letter to? Remember all the way back in chapter 1? These are house churches. These are believers. These are Christians. And he's saying, I want to impart to you our mutual faith in chapter 1. He's trying to build them up in the gospel. Because there were issues that were going on in the church, little fractures and fissures and divisions here, cultural divisions. And he preaches the gospel to them to show them, remind them of where they came from. What God did to change that through his death and resurrection and his son, and then what that means now for them. Chapter 12 through 16 of Romans is, 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 is sitting on this foundation of the gospel. Chapter 12 through 16, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he starts talking about your unity and your gifts, diversity. He talks about how you are to practice hospitality and love one another. He tells you how to treat your, your enemies who oppose you. He tells you your role with the government in chapter 13, how to relate to one another in disputable matters that we have big opinions about that really need to be lowered rather than elevated in the gospel and Jesus Christ elevated. And then in chapter 15, he wants a partnership with them for this mission that to Spain that he wants to go on. So trust the process they've been born again to. And here's what he wants them to understand. And you and I understand by extension is this. God strengthens you through the good news of Messiah and someone else. Look in chapter 16, and verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you, how? According to my gospel. According to my gospel. <clears throat> if you don't understand how that happens, read Romans 6 again. 
Romans 6 tells us we have been crucified with Christ. We have been raised with Christ's resurrection. And now we can surrender to Jesus rather than surrendering to our old desires. The power to change does not come from within me. The power to change comes from one way, the truth and the life, Jesus Christ, is death and resurrection. Because when I trusted in him, I pledged my allegiance to Jesus. What happened is this. That old me was dead. The old life was dead. The new life now is joined to Jesus forever when I follow Jesus. It's going to look like this rather than like this. To my progress. But that's what Jesus does. And he strengthens us through that good news. We don't move on from the gospel. We go deeper into it. Yes, I have been crucified with Christ. And you're facing that temptation. So that's not the real me. The real me is, I am raised with Christ to follow in righteousness. And now by faith, I turn and continue turning to Jesus rather than the old life. God strengthens you through the good news of Messiah that's announced. What is the good news? Well, you see here, it says, the preaching of Christ. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. We don't have time, but you can look in chapter 1. Well, we do. We should. We should. Chapter 1, 1 through 4. Look at, these, look at this explanation here. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel, the good news of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which is made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. This gospel here has been proclaimed in the Old Testament Scriptures. This gospel given to Paul reveals this mystery that Gentiles are now joined into this good news. Jew and Gentile. Jew and non-Jew. Where before it was Israel for the primary focus, now it's all nations. And it's no accident here that Romans begins and ends with this reference to the power of God through the gospel. If it is the power of God in 116 of this of this book to save it is also the power of God to establish us as well. That word establish is the word sterizo. It means, uh, it's used almost as a technical term in the New Testament for nurturing new converts and strengthening young churches. Luke uses it in the act, in the book of Acts, of Paul and his fellow missionaries who they would deliberately revisit the churches that they planted in order to sterizo, establish, strengthen them. Paul uses the, the, the verb here in his letters in relation to making Christians strong and firm and stable, whether in their faith against error or in their holiness against temptation or in their courage against persecution. And so when he says, I'm going to establish you according to my gospel here, what he's reminding them here is that God is able to do this to multi-ethnic churches, churches with many different cultures. Strengthen its members in truth and holiness and unity. And he says, it's been, it, was, it was a mystery before, but now it's been revealed. This map has been unfolded. This treasure map has been unfolded to reveal the whole picture here. And he says, according to the prophets here. So the Old Testament backs this up. And we've seen this all through Romans, haven't we? Where Paul validates the teaching that is given by quoting from the Old Testament. It backs it up. And then he says in chapter 16, 
Um, verse 26. According to the commandment of the everlasting God. What does it mean, the commandment? According to the commandment. The command is this. Be reconciled to God. Turn to God. Paul in Acts 17 says, Every man... And God has commanded every man to repent, to turn to God, to turn from, to. And so, the command to be reconciled to God has been made through this gospel. What is the gospel? When you study what the apostles preached, particularly in the sermons of Acts, what you'll see is this. There's a pattern. But this gospel... Prophesied beforehand in the scriptures as part of God's unfolding plan to bless the families of the earth through the seed of Abraham and through the seed of David. And it was given in the form of a new promise, a new covenant, promising forgiveness of sins and placing God's very spirit within man for those who receive. And this good news was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the descendant of King David, the King of Kings. Born of the Holy Spirit of a virgin. He came in the flesh. He lived a sinless life. He died. He was buried and rose again on the third day of the scriptures. And he has ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. That is good news. And this Jesus will come again to judge the earth and set up the kingdom of God. And after abolishing all rule and authority, he will reign forever and ever. There is no better news. Sorry kids, Christmas... <laughs> and getting presents and etc. Getting a new car, adults, a new house, a remodel. This is good news. This changes my now and changes my eternity. But there's a condition. What's the condition? Those of you who hear, those who hear this message. And believe, receive forgiveness of their own life. They will be given the Spirit of God as a down payment, a pledge of their eternal inheritance, as they eagerly await the return of the Savior. It will bring them one day to a new creation, with no sin, no suffering, no sadness, no sickness, no death. There's only one gospel of Jesus Christ. And every individual places his faith in this person and work of Christ alone for forgiveness of sins is at that moment forgiven of his sins once and for all and is forever, permanently a child of God and is part of Christ's church. And we get to celebrate that today with Rebecca. And Brooklyn's going to be baptized today. Because the church of Jesus is made up of those who've received this message of the gospel and responded to it. And baptized. Like a wedding ring. Signifying that their identification with Jesus and with his believing community is church. And once one is identified with Christ and his church through baptism, then we continue to make sure that these believers become vital, functioning members of the body of Christ. This local church. So are we going to take the Lord's Supper today? We're reminded of what it took to accomplish this for us. Live in fellowship with Jesus' church. And so Paul says this, <clears throat> The preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which is kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, 
according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known, think of, think of the Great Commission, right? Make disciples of all nations as you go, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Spirit, and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey whatever I have commanded. So he says, now that's what happened here in Rome, and it's, it's going to continue. This, this commandment of the last God made known to all nations for. So what's the point of the gospel here? To produce little Christs, change lives, that glorify, and the Lamb of God receives the reward of his suffering. Ruined sinners to reclaim, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. What does it mean, the obedience of faith here? Well, when you when you're come to Christ and you're saved and you're his child, um, there's a process called sanctification. It means making, becoming holy, becoming like Jesus, more and more following Jesus. And we have an obligation to teach one another to obey what he's commanded. Not just to teach what he's commanded, that's the great omission. The great commission is to teach to obey whatever he's commanded. What? What is the commandment? Well, he's, he's revealed his plan for the churches and, and where, to, where to follow his instructions. And <clears throat> that each believer is instructed to lay aside his old life, renew his mind in the teaching of the Word of God, and conform his life to the will of God. There's a set of virtues that we can't just batch, manufacture ourselves. Virtues that are only possible through God's resources that are to characterize us. Fruit of the Spirit. Our individual families need to be ordered properly with God's design. His church, the household of God, which is the, the pillar and support of the truth, has to be properly ordered according to the sound doctrine that's been received from the apostles. Each believer needs to do his part in one another ministry, and specifically the use of his gifts in building up the church. Outside of a Sunday morning. A pattern of relationships within this church has to be observed. This pattern is to be characterized by love and brotherhood and sisterhood and mutual acceptance and respect where we're diligently pursuing unity and the bond of peace. And then how we relate to the world, how the relationship to the world has to be obeyed and observed, characterized by respect for our government, our employers, other authorities, and then love and good deeds toward our neighbors and those in need. As Titus tells us. And us then as individuals, we're to lead responsible and, and serious, uh, sober lives. Have fun while we're doing it. But we're to work hard. We're to provide for our own. We're to make the most of the time because the days are evil. We're to keep on the alert for Satan and his strategies in our lives. And all matters concerning the life and beliefs of us as a church are to be settled by the Word of God. Where it hasn't Declared, and that's up to our individual conferences. C.S. Lewis said this, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. The word are 
job is to our individual responsibilities become more and more like Jesus and then to help other people become more and more like Jesus. And so Paul says, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. We go where his glory is not known. And may the land receive the reward for his suffering. Would you read those last verses, 25 to 27, with me? In your Bibles. <clears throat> this is a benediction here. This is a closing statement of God's blessing. Asking God to do something to us here as we close this book and then take the Lord's Supper. Let's begin in verse 25 together. Now to him that is the power to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scripture of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And brothers and sisters, believers I'm speaking to this morning, that's how you're established and you continue growing. But perhaps you're here and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and the things you've heard maybe sound okay or maybe sound really weird to you. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has been tugging on your heart to respond to His truth. Today, this morning here, God is telling you to turn to Jesus through this gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would love to have a conversation with you at the end or with some other people here who maybe you might feel more comfortable with about this good news of Jesus who changes and transforms lives. And God is telling you to turn and trust. But the condition is, well, you will do that. You open your heart and receive everything and all of Jesus' needs. And I'd love to have a continuing conversation about that here and show you from God's Word how you can know without a doubt that you're God's child and walking in His ways through His good news of His death and burial and resurrection for you. We're going to sing as we 